0: Welcome Mountain Park. So glad that you're here. My name is Alan and if you are uh, visiting with us or new with us, like Lori said, especially glad that you've chosen to uh, hang out with us, worship with us and connect with God in some way uh, here this morning. Before I begin, I want to let you know about something new that's happening here at our church. It's actually uh, something that I want to introduce to you via video. We have a 30 second little commercial that we want to introduce something to you. So go ahead and take a look at this. The fabled great herd of chairs that once roamed the halls of Mountain Park with pride. Their numbers have been steadily declining for years, now reduced to ragtag packs of shaky furniture, bent legs and missing pieces. These chairs have given their lives to supporting the backsides of longing souls since this building has been here. Won't you now help them in their hour of need? In the arms of the air, fly away From, here, from this dark cold, show some charity. And the air. Uh, okay. Um If you don't care for that so much, it was all Marsha's idea. But we are in need of new chairs. Our chairs have have taken care of us for a long time. And so well, what we're doing is we're going to go after 600 new chairs to take care of what's happening in student ministries and our Wednesday night deal so that we can uh, continue to be a good host for visitors, etc. So what we're doing is we're inviting you, challenging you, uh, to, to, if you would purchase a chair for $50. They're going to cost about 50 bucks. If you would think about, consider... Uh, Uh, giving to charity uh, for $50 per person in your family so that we can cover these chairs. would be great. Our board and staff got together and said, how many can we take care of? So, boom, we've taken care of 50 at this point. And so uh, your participation will allow us to knock this out, and it would be great. Uh, There is a table in the lobby. There's some stuff on the website and in your program and all that if you'd like to follow up with that. I think if you just write a check and write charity or chair on it, then we'll make sure that goes to the right place. Just a little bit of fun uh, with some uh, logistics around here. So we are going to continue the series today called Unwritten. If you're new with us, we've been taking the whole year to look at God's overall story, the whole shebang, the whole story from the very beginning of creation to the indicators that we have, the glimpses that we have with regard to the end of the story. And what we've been doing this whole year is, is going after character, looking at different characters throughout that story, and how does God want to challenge and stir up character issues in us. The section that we're in right now is entitled The Unwritten because it's right now on the timeline. It's our part of the story. We are part of God's overall story. It's not just something we read that was written thousands of years ago. It's something that we also get to be a part of. And what we're doing is we look at the unwritten story is kind of connecting that with how a writer will develop a character in a story or in a novel. Now, The main characters that you love in your favorite stories, whether it is a movie or a book or whatever format, those characters are most likely going to be dynamic characters. They're going to be round characters. They're going to be characters that change from the beginning of the book or the series of books to the end. That's what draws our attention in so many ways. One of the exceptions to that is superhero movies. So, our superhero stories. Superheroes don't change. Superman is Superman. He, uh, he has to encounter different things throughout his journey, but they don't change. They're not dynamic character superheroes for the most part. Why? Now, this might be a spoiler, but they're not real. And so that's why they're not dynamic characters. But the real life that we live in, the real characters that we are in our real story, we are a dynamic character. Character. We are dynamic characters in the stories that we're telling through our life. What we talked about last week is that this dynamic character is heading towards something. And we can either just kind of stumble through life or we can be intentional about having a character quest. Uh, A good story is going to have a specific character quest, where that character is going. And if we're not intentional about it, we stumble into small stories, and those, be, those consume our lives. And we can look at some of the pieces of our lives, and those can be, be the things that we focus on, whether it has to do with body beautiful, or what am I going to wear, or what am I going to drive, or, or, or those kinds of things. Th- those can be the things that we focus on, and that doesn't make for a great story. It really doesn't. When we step back, I mean, those are fine things to go after, but when that consumes us, then we miss out on the true quest that God has for us. And the idea is to step back and say, God, okay, what is the quest that you have for me? And perhaps if you've been with us this year, maybe your quest has been stirred up by some character trait that we've talked about this year. Maybe integrity or generosity or compassion Maybe that has stirred up a quest for you. Maybe you are one of the lucky ones like Noah, who has a very specific quest, build a boat. And maybe you've heard from God, this is what I know I need to do. It's just a matter of going after it. You're, a, you're blessed if, if that's your situation. Most of us kind of have to navigate this a little bit more. Maybe some of you connected with what we talked about last week in terms of the quest in life to, to seek To praise God instead of praising the men and women around us—that we want to make God proud of us. Maybe that's what you were heading after this morning. What we're looking about, what we're looking at, is something called the character arc. And for a writer of a story, a writer will start with, "Okay, here's my character. Here's what this character. Here's this character's chart. What he or she looks like, and and uh, what has brought him or her to this place. Here's the quest." where this character's going at the end of the story. The arc is the story on how the person gets from A to B. The arc is how to get to the character quest. So what we're going to talk about today is what does Scripture have to say in God's whole shebang story, what does God have to say about the arc, about how we get from where we are to where we believe God wants us to go? That's what we're taking a look at today. Would you pray with me? Father, once again, I am thankful that you are here, that without your presence, we are just a bunch of words bouncing off walls. Father, I pray that you would give meaning and depth to our time here today. God, as as we look at your word, as we look at your truth, that we would know this isn't just an opinion, this is what you have provided for us. Would you give us filters to hear from you? Would you give us attentiveness to hear from you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Vicky Kuyper spoke a couple weeks ago, and as a writer, she drew from her experience to talk about how a writer develops characters. And she she introduced a phrase to me that I had not heard that among writers, it, when they're developing a character, they have kind of this thing of show, don't tell. I really like what she had to say about that. That a writer is going to show, don't tell who this character is or what this character is doing. So, for instance, don't tell me that Jason Bourne is very attentive and intelligent. Show me with the fact that he knows where all the exits are in a room. You remember as the movie was kind of developing? Show it to me. Don't just tell it to me. I I just think that's such a... uh, That's just such a a fascinating way that that a writer is going to create a character, draw out a character. My version of that, for the most part... Uh, or my, my thought of that when she, was, when she was talking about show, don't tell, is I connected with talking smack and sports. And, uh, I mean, that's a part of the game. That's a part of the fun. That's a, that's a part of what makes, uh, you know, playing with one another fun is that you get out and you say, oh, did you try to check me or was that a fly? I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I could tell the difference quite exactly. I mean, talking smack is just part of the whole deal. But professional, classy athletes... They understand the value of show, don't tell. They understand that it's their role to get out and show on the field or on the rink or uh, on the court. They're to show why they're getting paid millions of dollars to do what they're doing. Not to talk smack about it. Most of the classy ones understand this. Now, when they were kids, I'm pretty confident that they had plenty of opportunity to talk smack. That's, that's what we do. We get pretty good at it. In fact, that's where the whole articulate genre of yo mama jokes came from. That's, that's how that whole thing happens. Uh, but when they, when they mature to be these classy professional athletes, they understand, and you can tell in their interviews, that, that this is important to them. and Because their interviews are always the same. You interview somebody before a, a big game, maybe it's somebody who is the favorite in a, in a game, and they'll say the same thing. They'll say, well, uh, you know, they're a really good team, and uh, we've got to really show up tonight. We've got to play some good D, and uh, we'll just see what happens. All right, thanks. Uh, they just say the same thing. It doesn't matter what the game is, what the sport is. They say this, and we watch it uh, for some reason, but they, they say the same thing because they're not going to talk smack. We've just got to play some good D, and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's the same kind of deal. They understand show, don't tell. They understand the importance of this. Don't just tell people how smart you are, how trustworthy you are, how gifted and creative you are. Show it. Show me the money. Don't just tell people that you have this amazing question, you have these great ideas on how to, how to go after this thing and your character is developing in such a great way. Show it. Show. Don't tell. Now the problem with that, the struggle, the The difficulty with that is it's so much easier to say than it is to do in terms of character development. It's way easier. So we might say this is what we want to do or this is the character we want to be, but in terms of actually moving the feet forward, showing in that way, it's our actions that are harder to move. It's it's, it's, it's getting it to turn into actions. That's the hard part. And that's so often the difficult journey for parents. Because as parents, we've got our, our, our kids and we want them to do something. We want them to, um, we want the, it to turn into action that they actually move. Show us that they're, that they're trying to do what we're asking them to do. That's a part of being a parent. One of the things that I've, I've struggled with with my kids is how do I get them to stay still while I'm brushing their teeth? This, it's two minutes. It's, it's a two-minute time where I'm asking them to just sit still, stand, and don't move. They can watch a movie for two hours, be motionless with their mouths open, in perfect uh, bodily position to be, a, 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 if, the, if I was brushing their teeth, that's the perfect place where I want them to be. Just like that. And, and they can do that for two hours if they're in front of a movie, but they can't just do that for me when I'm trying to brush their teeth. I think it's because they're in front of a mirror. And when you're in front of a mirror, that's the time to practice your new facial expressions. And so they do all these and they're, you know, do an air guitar, whatever the thing is in there, and those are the situations where my wife says, that's your child. And, I mean, you can, I've just invited you into our home a little bit. But, but this whole deal is this, um, it's this journey, and so I try to do all that I can. I try to do all the incentives I can. I have sticker incentives. Stickers are important for a five-year-old, for a six-year-old. And so I've tried those. I have tried to very calmly repeat over and over again. Don't talk. Don't move. Don't talk. Don't talk. Don't move. As I say it a smooth voice, I'll just, yes, daddy, Don't talk, don't move. I'm hoping something like that will happen. Uh, I've created a little song for them to kind of hum while I'm brushing their teeth to try to just relax them so they can brush their teeth so I don't have to grab the head and do the whole deal. I'm working hard so I can do all this. You know, whatever incentives I can get, when you're 16, I'll buy you a brand new car. Just stay still, whatever the thing might be. See, parents often have to work through behavior modification. Parents often have to, okay. I've got to manage this situation. I've got to deal with behavior modification. Behavior modification. Don't do this. Please do this. I will give you an incentive to do this. I'll give you extra treats if you do this. I'll put you in timeout if you don't do this. I, and then there's the, the, the infamous and terrifying. I will count to three. And then, you know, then the kids go, no, not three. And they say, and if you don't, I'll count to three again. And the whole thing can be so terrifying uh, uh, for a child. But, but it, is, it is this, this trying to, to, to modify behaviors. And we have to do this on a regular basis. But behavior modification, which is the tool of every parent, it only lasts this long. That's why I struggle over and over again with the toothbrushing piece. Behavior modification does not affect the arc. It doesn't transform character and change a a person. What happens uh, beyond behavior modification is we figure out, is we go to the place of beliefs. When we affect how a person believes and what's stirred up on the inside, that's how we go into major character change, character arc transformation. It's it's beyond behavior modification. So a good parent understands that saying things like, because I said so, they they don't go very far. They don't transform character. Saying things like, don't do what I did because I said so. That doesn't That doesn't go beyond short-term behavior modification. That's what would lead a teenager to say, why can I not have sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend when I know that you had sex before you got married? It's not enough to respond to that by saying, don't do what I did. We have to, in those moments, go beyond behavior modification to find out what do you believe about this situation? What do you believe about marriage? What do you believe about your sexuality? What do you believe about about God's presence and his will for these situations? We've got to go into those places because behavior modification only goes to a certain place. It's our beliefs that change our actions long term. It's our beliefs that that shape our character arc. And determine whether or not we will get to our quest. Our beliefs form our story. Our beliefs form our story. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Romans is the sixth book, I guess, in the New Testament. We're looking at Romans chapter 12. Verse two is probably familiar to a number of you here in the room, but I want to see what Paul has to say to us in terms of the power of our beliefs. Romans chapter two, chapter twelve, sorry, chapter twelve, verse two. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is this quest that we're going after. What does God want to do with my life as this unwritten part of God's overall story? And Paul lays out that there are two parts to being transformed. Two parts to, to, to moving, to show as opposed to just telling. To impact our character arc. One is we, we, um, we let go of The first part is letting go of the patterns of this world. We clean and wash that stuff off. We remove that part, and then we put on or bring on the new part. So the first step is do not conform to the patterns of this world. That's the part where you've got to clean, you've you've got to remove the stuff that's currently there. For those of you who paint furniture or varnish furniture, there's this... First task you've got to do of removing the old stuff. And that can so often be the harder part of the journey. Removing the old stuff, removing the old varnish or whatever. My dad used to rebuild cars a lot when I was a kid. He had a 51 Ford truck was, uh, that one was in a movie. He had a 57 uh, Ford Retractable. That one was actually in a movie as well. And a number of different car shows. He had multiple different Mustangs and Mustang convertibles, 60s. He had Carmen Gias. And, and uh, I remember he had a little MG convertible that he was working on. And I remember being out in the garage and sanding, uh, sanding the side of this car. And the effort that it takes to remove the old paint and to prepare the car to be painted... Is way more effort than actually painting the car. I mean, putting that brilliant new red paint on it, that was the exciting part. That was in many ways the easy part. The hard part is removing the old stuff. When we enter into a relationship with Christ, the Scripture says that we are a new creation, we have a new identity, but we bring in all our old beliefs. We don't have a completely blank slate. We bring in these things that we used to think of. We bring in our old identity, these old beliefs. And those things that are not consistent with God's story, they need to be sanded down. They need to be removed before we can go to the next step, which Paul says that we are in the second half of verse 2 there, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the second half. We remove the old paint, add the new paint on. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means we bring on new beliefs that are consistent with God's story. Many of us who've been married for a while, we will believe differently about the whole marriage relationship than we did when we first got married. That, that time of being with that person has taught us something. Most of us, when we enter into marriage, we, uh, we have had experience, some experiences with some other people. We've dated some others, and that's part of the process of thinking, who's going to be a good person for me to connect with? And so then we find somebody who's maybe 60 65% uh, what they need to be, but we have enough confidence that with time, we can work on them. And we can, we can improve them to get them up to, to really uh, uh, be fantastic. Now, you see, once you're married for a while, your beliefs about the development of of this person you're married to don't quite land that way, do they? I have uh, been a pastor for a number of years, and I've met with a number of different people. Most of the time when I meet one-on-one or in uh, more private settings, most of the time it has to do with marriage. It is the most complicated and beautiful relationship that God's given us. It's the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship. And never, ever once... Have I heard somebody say, uh, you know, we used to really struggle in our marriage, and uh, through perseverance and through hard work, I finally come to the point where I fixed him. (laughs) Look at him. He's what I wanted him to be. Yes, ma'am. I mean, I mean it, just, it just does not work that way. So if we have these beliefs in our head or we're engaged and we're moving towards this and thinking, well, these things drive me crazy now, but I believe that once we're married, these won't be issues for me. woo <laughs> Reality is right around the corner uh, on, on that one there. See, that, that, that it's, it's, it's not about behavior modification. It's it about. It's not about saying, I want to do the right thing, I want to do the right thing, I want to do the right thing, and, and uh, next day, I want to do the right thing, I want to, in my strength, I'm going to do the right thing. My character arc will be shaped by my strength and my willingness to do the right thing, do the right thing. Paul says it's not about that. It's about the renewing of your mind. It's about transforming what we believe. That's what goes towards long-term change. Behavior modification, do the right thing, that only goes this far. It's the internal belief changing that truly transforms us. That's the part that goes into the long-term change. The beliefs inside us, it's kind of our, our internal drivers. All that's happening on the inside, it's our internal drivers, At one point, Jesus says, it's quoted both in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus says that from the heart come evil thoughts, and greed, and adultery, and lust, and murder, and such and such, and a bunch of other things. One might read that and think, well, that doesn't make any sense. From the heart come evil thoughts. Well, that must be a mistranslation, because thoughts don't come from the heart, thoughts come from the head. And one might even say, well, as far as internal transformation, Paul even says that it's about the renewing of our mind, not our heart. But it's important to understand that Scripture doesn't make a huge distinction between the heart and the mind. That that these are the things that represent our insides. Jesus at one point, he quotes the Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The point of those four things is not to clearly bring out the distinction between heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And what are the exact differences between those? Sometimes he says only three of those. And another time he says a different set of those three. What Jesus is saying, what Scripture is saying overall, heart, mind, it's overall everything that's inside of you. Love the Lord your God with all that you are, with everything that's inside of you. So heart and mind can look differently. Uh, Paul here talks about renewing of the mind. In the Old Testament, a guy named Solomon talks about the heart. And I believe they're very much talking about the same thing. I want to take a look at Proverbs chapter 4, a verse there. Proverbs chapter 4. It's written by Solomon, who's considered the wisest man who ever walked the earth other than Jesus Smart guy. He wrote about a lot of things. He wrote about purpose. He wrote about meaning in life. He wrote about leadership. He wrote about wisdom, about how to handle certain situations. He wrote about sex. He wrote the Song of Songs. There's a lot of things that Solomon wrote. And yet, with all the things that he wrote, with his reputation as the wisest one who's ever walked the planet, he says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else. Okay, you've heard me talk about a whole bunch of other things. More than any of those things, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's where the long-term change comes from. It's not behavior modification. It's, that's the place where everything gets radically transformed. Have you ever believed in something with all your heart? Have you ever felt the power of believing in something with everything that is inside of you? That can dramatically impact us for the good or for the bad. If a woman believes that this man is is the right one for her, with all her heart she believes that, despite how he treats her despite the fact that people who know her and care about her question whether this is a healthy relationship to continue whether they should continue dating or whatever what's going to happen to that woman if she believes that this is the right person with all her heart she's going to keep dating him it's a powerful deal our beliefs form our story on the other hand what if a person believes with all his or her heart, believes with all his heart, that uh, that that God has invited him into a journey that for him to persevere with a job or a task or a relationship or the marriage. When that happens, he will be able to to continue and do things that he would not be able to do based on his own strength because our beliefs form our stories. Our beliefs, all that is within us, they form our stories. There's another guy in the Old Testament named David, King David. We've talked about him in this journey a few times. And King David, he talks about the heart as well. He wrote most of the Psalms, and in Psalm 119, if you're still in Proverbs, you can just back up a little bit. The book right before Proverbs is is a longer book called the Psalms. And in Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, near the beginning of that in verse 11, he says this, Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart. Your word. This is where the beliefs come from. It's not just what we read in this cleverly written book. It's not just what we feel about a person or about a situation. This is the most powerful and consistent thing that we can lean on in terms of our beliefs. So this is why... Scripture invites us to hide the word in our heart, to put this, these words into our heart, that they would become a part of our journey, that they would become a consistent part of our journey. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. A pattern is something that is consistent and recurring, red, red, blue, yellow, Red, red, blue, yellow. It's something we see a pattern. We see it happening over and over again. For so many of us in terms of our struggles, our sins, our mistakes, the ways that our character arc is not glorifying to God, the ways that we are not going after a quest that is according to God's heart, those things are consistently recurring. For so many of us, there is a pattern to the things we struggle with. They're not random things that show up every day. And so in those areas, with those things, what does Scripture have to say about those things, about those recurring things that shouldn't surprise you a week from now when you have the same thing that you're struggling with? What does the Bible have to say about that? Have you sought counsel from people that you trust to find, what does the Bible say about this? Have you searched it on the internet? Have you read for yourself, God, what do you say about this recurring issue for me that I want to stop? Have you memorized scripture on it? Hidden the word in your heart so that it can transform you from the inside out because our beliefs form our story. It's a memorizing scripture. There's value to that specifically with the patterns of our mistakes. Now some say, well I can't memorize scripture. I just don't think that way. I, I, can't, I can't do that. well, I think there are other things that you can memorize. You might know every name, every number, every batting average of your your favorite team in their championship year, and you've got that locked away, because that's important to you. You might know every lyric to a whole lot of different songs, because you spend a lot of time with those songs. When I was growing up, I used to uh, go for trips with the family in our 1978 Mercury Grand Marquis. It was was, was a boat, Uh, a huge, huge, huge car, largest car uh, ever built, I think. And we would be in this car, and because of the 8-track machine that was in there, I got very familiar with Kenny Rogers. And so on the Kenny Rogers greatest hits, uh, uh, I am very familiar with the line, on a warm summer's evening. Some of you can continue with me, on a train bound for nowhere. Okay, some of you are going, stop. Uh, But... But, I mean, I know every word to that song because I spent enough time with it, and you know how to memorize stuff. Some of you can recite whole scenes from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. you got the whole thing. You say that, yet on the other side, you say, I can't memorize a whole verse of the Bible. I can't memorize 28 words. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Hide those words in your heart, especially for recurring issues. Women, maybe there's a recurring, consistent pattern for you in terms of your credit card screaming out to you, swipe me, swipe me, use me. Is there any scripture that you've spent any time with to memorize, to remind you at difficult times what you truly believe About your responsibility in terms of your finances. Is there a scripture? Have you hidden that in your heart so that that can transform your beliefs, which shape your actions? Men, what about recurring struggles for you, whether it has to do with the computer or it has to do with business trips? And there's this recurring struggle that you find yourself in. Okay, here I am again. And are there any scriptures? that you've spent any time with, to say, here in this moment, I want power over this situation. I want to know what God has to say about this, and because I've memorized it, I'm going to let that inform my beliefs. Remind me in here in this moment of what I believe. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought about that? Because without that stuff, we turn into natural behavior instead of allowing our beliefs, all that is inside us, to shape our actions. Because our beliefs form our story. Maybe your quest in life connected a little bit with last week. I heard from a few people who said that the idea of seeking the praise of God rather than the praise of other people, that that was resonating with some folks. If that resonated with you, that's only going to be a short-term behavior modification unless It connects with your beliefs. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about his love for you, about how much he cares for you, how much he knows you, how much he wants to be proud of you? What do you believe about that with all that is inside of you, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, your internal drivers? What do you believe about yourself, about your own life, about whether you have what it takes to be a dad, to be a wife, about whether you truly are beautiful, radiant, important, valuable. What do you truly believe about yourself? That shapes your actions. It forms your story. What do you believe about the life that we're living, about the eternity that is talked about in Scripture? What do you truly believe about that? Because that forms your story. Over the next 10 minutes, we're going to spend some time in worship. For those of you who are new with us, uh, we're not done here right now. We're going to take a few moments to reflect on what we believe, on what's going on inside here, to reflect on what's really happening in here with regard to those areas that are most important for you or most struggling for you. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. What we do with our response time is we have a number of different places throughout the auditorium. They're listed in your program. You can find scripture references and a little more information about those in front of you. But uh, you can come to the cross, and as others have done, you can take one of these red pieces of paper and just write something on there. Maybe there is a belief that you've been hanging on to. You're a follower of Christ, but there is a belief that has not been sanded away yet that gets in the way of your mind being renewed and maybe you need to leave that here today and you just nail it to the cross this is an opportunity in front here for unassisted prayer you can come and light a candle and bring the light of Jesus into an area of your life or the, or the life of someone you care about folks would love to anoint you over here anoint you with oil which represents the healing power of God over here to the right by the, each of the exit doors there are uh, folks on our prayer team who would love to pray with you there's communion Uh, in the center back for those of you who are followers of Christ who would love to take communion again today as a part of your worship. Or you can stay where you are, think, reflect, sing, however you want to respond to God and say, God, help me in my unbelief. Help me so that my beliefs can form my story in ways that are honoring to you. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you that you parent us so well. You have such a long-term plan for us as our Heavenly Father. You don't want us to just get through today. It's not about behavior modification and and boom, doing one more thing better. God, you want to transform our hearts. You want to renew our minds. And So Father, I pray that you would have your way today. That in whatever area, Persons here in this room are struggling in whatever area, that the arc, the plan to get from A to B is just not what you would have it to be right now. God, would you come? Would you come into those places and inspire us in terms of what, what to believe that's consistent with who you are so that that can pour into our actions, so that can form our story? We want to take the next few moments, God, and respond to you, connect with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.